The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow our Facebook page and visit shadygrovepca.org. Apps or your Bibles out, whatever it is that you use to follow along with us. If you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles in the seats in front of you. And then if you stop by our Welcome Center after service, we do have a small gift for you that includes a Bible that we would love to give you as a gift to take home and read. We'll be in Luke chapter 22 today. As we are finishing our series, How Jesus Makes a Disciple, Case Study Simon Peter, Luke chapter 22, and as you're flipping there, I have a question for you to think about as we start our time. Have you ever blown it before? And I don't just mean a bad day or a bad week where you're feeling a bit discouraged. I mean... Something in your life, an event that has been absolutely shattering, a relationship-ending, life-shattering moment where you know that nothing will ever be the same, and you can't help but wonder how you're going to bounce back from something like this. Today's passage is a story for people who have blown it. And if you know what that feels like, like me, then I trust that the Lord has something good for us together this morning. The scene is one that is familiar to most of us. Darkness has fallen. It is the night when Jesus was betrayed. On this chilly April evening, Jesus tells us that this was actually no ordinary nightfall. If you have your Bibles open, you see in verse 53 that he says, this is the hour of the power of darkness. A darkness has set in where the hearts of men will be turned against the one who came to save them. The soldiers will mock and beat him. The priests and the scribes, they will shout, they will spit at, and they will mock him. And the disciples, those who were closest to him, will turn their backs and hide. See how Jesus is taken away. His hands and feet are bound. The mockery and the brutal treatment that he endures on his way to see the high priest. There, the religious authorities will gather to carry out history's greatest injustice. And below in the courtyard stands Jesus' most loyal disciple, ready to come to his master's aid. Each of the four gospel accounts portray what happens next in a similar fashion. The trial and mockery of Jesus taking place in the upper room is set in contrast to Peter waiting by the fire below for his opportunity to strike. Yet even Peter, one who had been so fiercely loyal to Jesus by day, even he could not hold fast to his confession when the power of darkness had set in. The stage is set, so let's now turn our attention to the reading of God's word, beginning in chapter 54, or sorry, verse 54 of chapter 22. Then they seized Jesus, and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. 
And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray together. So Father, we need your help. We are reminded this morning that apart from your spirit, we are blind and cannot understand and apply your word for ourselves. And so, Father, please, would you send your spirit to illumine our hearts and minds, to humble us, to sit under your word and not over it, and to receive the teaching that you have for us as we look at one final lesson in how Jesus makes disciples. Be with us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Two big ideas, two headings that you can think of to group our time together this morning. Uh, First, that like Peter, we know what it is to be condemned. And second, like Peter, we can know what it is to be restored. And as we're looking at our passage together this morning, what I want the Lord to impress on our hearts is this one final lesson about how Jesus makes disciples. The kind of person that knows they have blown it is exactly the kind of person that Jesus is seeking to follow him. So, let's head into our passage together. Like Peter, we know what it is to be condemned. Our passage begins with Peter in the courtyard of the high priest, and this is an important detail for us to take notice of. Peter believed himself to be loyal to Jesus, willing to go even with him to prison and to death, as we read in our service this morning. Up until this point, it is evident that Peter was intending to follow Jesus until the end. The courtyard of the high priest would not have been an easy place to get into. In fact, in John's gospel, he tells us that it was another disciple who snuck Peter in. Peter made a choice to put himself in hostile and dangerous territory. And for this, he could be commended. Braver than most of us would have been, Peter puts himself in a place where he would have been able to defend his master if the opportunity presented itself. And yet, the opportunity did present itself. And in that moment, Peter's strength and courage failed. It is the speed and the distance of his fall that makes this so sad that we can relate to the condemnation that followed is what makes this passage so bitter. St. Augustine, one of the giants of the early church in Africa, he said this about Peter's denials. We do not on our part have any delight in accusing the first of the apostles, but in looking on him, we ought to take home the lesson to ourselves that no man should place his confidence in human strength. For what else had our teacher and savior in view but to show us by making the first of the apostles an example that no one ought in any way to presume of himself? 
Looking at the example of Peter and his three denials, we see three kinds of condemnation, each of which we know and we can relate to for ourselves. First, there is guilt and self-condemnation. Peter, sitting by the fire, waiting for his opportunity to come to Jesus' aid. But the inquisitive questions of a servant girl are enough to make him shatter. He had made a promise I will follow you even to prison and to death. But it wasn't a promise that he could keep. Have you ever made a promise that you didn't keep? How does that make you feel? If you're anything like me, that's a feeling that just sort of sits and it eats you up inside. I mean, I... I, I, get all kinds of bent out of shape if I'm five minutes late to a meeting. I freak out if I forget to call somebody when I say I will. I like to think of myself as a trustworthy and reliable person. And so if I can't follow through on that, it just makes me feel horrific and guilty and like I'm just this terrible person who can't be trusted. That's guilt. Guilt And self-condemnation come when we look at our actions or our behaviors and we hold them up against our values, our ethics, our beliefs. We look at our behavior and say, that doesn't match up with who I say I want to be. That's guilt. And it's a universal human emotion. And for some of you, like me, a little bit of guilt is enough to send us into a spiral of shame and self-condemnation as we look at ourselves as being less worthy than we think we are. Peter, failing to keep his promise, denies Jesus. And he now knows this weight of guilt. And he stands condemned before the person who he said he could be. Second, There is the condemnation which can come from other people. A little while later, Peter is presented with another opportunity to stand by Jesus, but again, he denies it. Peter has been recognized by the surrounding crowd in the courtyard. They know who he is. He is known as one of Jesus' closest followers. They have seen him following behind him while he does his teaching. They have even seen Peter perform miracles in Jesus' name. They know who he is and who he has professed to be. Peter's repeated denials before a crowd who knows the truth condemns him publicly as a hypocrite, as a fake, and as a fraud. The Christian who is faithfully following Jesus, ought to be known for serving others sacrificially and, when the time is right, speaking about the truth of our sin and the grace of God available to us in Jesus Christ. And I hope this seems like a novel and grand idea, but the fact of the matter is that a life so lived is going to be a life that exposes us. The closer our proximity to Jesus, the more we will be known by our friends, neighbors, and coworkers as one who is supposed to live as Jesus lived and love as Jesus loved. And perhaps you're a Christian and you don't know what it's like to deny Jesus with your words. I don't think there isn't a Christian in this room who doesn't know what it's like to deny Jesus with our actions. And if our own guilt and self-condemnation weren't bad enough, there's no worse feeling than completely woofing it in front of others and being called out for it. Have you ever let someone down 
or said or done something that is unchristlike to someone, and they look at you and say, I thought Christians were better than that. Ah, oh, like a punch to the gut. Knowing that we are a fraud and a hypocrite is one thing, but being exposed as one? Oh, that's the worst. I have several stories of blowing it in the workplace before I quit to pursue ministry. If we ever do a class on faith and work in our church, it's actually just going to be story time with me as I tell you about how I completely messed it up in the workplace. But here's a story to show you uh, a time when I just really just woofed it bad in front of my coworkers. One of the worst moments of my Christian life. When I first became a Christian, an area of my life that I gave very little attention to was examining um, my dating life and how I viewed women. Now, I knew that I didn't want to be unequally yoked. And so, you know, I thought that as long as I sort of saw that the box was checkmarked Christian on the dating profile, that everything was okay, right? But nothing about my dating practices had really changed. And I was blind to just how bad this was and how poorly I was representing Christ until I was exposed for the hypocrite that I was. My team at work, we had a tight deadline. Some of you know that it's called the war room and everyone's kind of gathered together to accomplish a tight deadline. So we had been gathered together for a couple of weeks sitting in this tight place trying to make sure our deadline was met. Now my team at work, they, we worked closely together enough. They knew I was a Christian. They even knew I worked part-time at my church. They also knew uh, about my social life and, and going out and all of that kind of stuff. And so they knew the life that I lived. So I had a date one night, and so it's late afternoon. I start packing up my stuff, and I let everyone know, hey, you know, I'm heading out a little bit early tonight for a date. And again, no secret to my coworkers who I am. I talk about Christ all the time. I'm even texting them and IMing them and, you know, on the messenger and letting them know about church. So as I'm preparing to leave, one of my coworkers, she turns and looks at me, and she innocently asks, oh, is it the same girl that you went out with last week? And I said, no, it's a different girl. And she got this puzzled look on her face. And she looks at me and she says, oh, so you're sort of like the Christian player then. It was one of the most embarrassing and condemning moments of my Christian life. For all of my words about how important Christ was to me, it was evident to my coworkers that I really didn't treat women very well, that my dating practices hadn't changed, and that Christ really hadn't sunk deep into my life and made a real difference with how I lived. I felt not only the guilt of realizing that I wasn't who I said I was, but also I felt the shame and the scorn of others as they looked down on me for not being the person who I said that I was. And this is how condemnation works. First, there is our own guilt and self-condemnation. There's also condemnation that can come from other people, but there's also this third kind of condemnation and perhaps the most important and most significant. There is the condemnation that can come from God. Peter's third denial seals his fate. If there was any hope that he could turn this thing around, that hope is gone. At this point, the crowd is insistent and the force of the third challenge is strong. What do you mean you don't know him? Dude, we have seen you. 
We have seen you with him. Besides, you look like a Galilean, you talk like a Galilean, and the only people that would be here from Galilee are the kinds of people that know and follow Jesus. Peter's third denial is equally strong. Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Mark tells us in his gospel that Peter invokes a curse on himself if, he's, if what he said was not true. In other words, Peter calls upon God and his judgment to bear witness to his truthfulness. So now, Peter is guilty before the person who he thought he could be but didn't measure up. He's guilty before the people who know he's a hypocrite and a fraud. And now he is guilty before the perfect and the just and the righteous condemnation of God that condemns him as a liar and the sinner that he is. And the rooster crowed just as Jesus said that it would. You see, the consequences of sin move beyond our own personal guilt. They move beyond the shame and the scorn of others. But because of our sin, God's perfect law and character renders us guilty and condemned and deserving of his just punishment. If there's anyone who would appear unfit to be Jesus' disciple, it would be Peter. The man who acted brave and courageous for three years until the time came to follow through on all of his talk, and he failed. Don't we see ourselves in Peter? He is our mirror as we see, too, that we have denied Jesus, whether in our words or our deeds, and we have done things to bring all different kinds of condemnation on ourselves. But this is not the end of the story. Like Peter, we know what it is to be condemned, but like Peter, we can know what it is to be restored. Because while Peter was in the courtyard, something was taking place which Peter did not yet know or understand. Peter was bringing just condemnation on himself, which he deserved. And in a beautiful display of grace, Jesus was in the upper room taking unjust condemnation on himself, which he did not deserve. Peter was trying to save his life by his denials. Jesus was preparing to give his life by his confession. Why? Friends, this is the gospel taking place in real time. Jesus takes on our condemnation, all of it, and by faith he gives us his righteousness, all of it, so that we can know what it is to be restored and redeemed. We read from Romans 8.1 this morning that says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How is this possible? Because Jesus took it all from us when he endured the accusations, the mockery, the beatings, the torture, and his death. And being raised to new life, all those who look on him by faith will receive for themselves his righteousness and will find themselves restored and made new. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, let me tell you something. His righteousness is what you need the most. And this is something that can only happen when you recognize that there's no more room for pretending. 
that you have blown it, that you can't be the person who you say you want to be, that you are a fraud, and that you need Jesus to make you new. Let me tell you how this changes everything for you. Because what comes next is breathtaking. It says in verse 61 that the Lord turns and looks at Peter. Consider the thoughtfulness and the love of Christ for Peter in this moment. Being accused, bound, mocked, and beaten, Christ's thoughts are not of himself, but of his wandering disciple. Oh, Peter. His heart goes out to the one who has fallen and completely blown it. For three years, Jesus had communicated to Peter a lifetime of teaching about who he was and the kingdom that he was ushering in. All that was left for Peter now was a look. A look that transcends the power or depth of what any words could have communicated in that moment. It was a look that said, Peter, did I not tell you that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That's Luke chapter 9. Peter, I told you that you cannot follow me. This is a task that only I can accomplish. That's John chapter 13. Peter, Oh, Peter, Satan tried to grab you, but I've prayed for you and your faith will not fail. And when you turn again, I will need you to strengthen your brothers. That's earlier in Luke chapter 22. In other words, in a look, Jesus says to Peter, I see you. I see you and I know you. I knew you would deny me. And this changes nothing. I love you, but it's time for me to go. It's time for me to go and accomplish what I have set out to do. I think one of the most terrifying things for human beings is the thought of being seen and being known for who we really are. Jonathan Haidt, a secular atheist, a social psychologist up at NYU, he has a book called The Righteous Mind. And he says there that an obsession with righteousness is the normal human condition. And what he means by that is each one of us, we want so desperately to be regarded and counted as just, as upright, and as virtuous. But, he says, That in our obsession with righteousness, it runs so deep that we are selfish hypocrites who are so skilled at putting on a show that we fool even ourselves. So to be exposed, to be exposed before others and before God as the hypocrites that we really are, that's terrifying. 
And this is what makes being seen by Jesus sound so horrible. I mean, don't we read this in our first instinct is to say, yeah, Jesus looks at Peter and says, I told you so. We're so scared of being seen for who we really are. But in this passage, we see that what we fear most turns out to be the sweetest and kindest mercy. For those whom Jesus sets his gaze on, he knows. And those whom he knows, he loves. Despite their failures, despite their faults, he still deeply loves them. Augustine, finishing his thought, which we began earlier, he said this, Before the death and resurrection of of the Lord, Peter died when he denied. But he lived again because Jesus had looked on him with kindness. And what was the effect this had on Peter? It moved him to weep bitterly. It moved him to sorrow over his sin and a place of repentance. Jesus told Peter earlier in chapter 22, that when Peter turned again, he would need to strengthen his brothers. This language of turning again is the language of repentance, turning back to the Lord. And this is the effect of seeing and being seen by Jesus. We find a love that will never forsake us, that will never leave us, that will never abandon us, that shows us who we really are, but how deeply loved we can really be be. And this is what we need to be restored and made new. Maybe you're here this morning and you're burdened with a guilt and a condemnation and you've convinced yourself that God could never love a mess up like you. But don't you remember what we read in 1 John this morning? When our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. If you are in Christ, you no longer stand condemned, and he knows everything. How is this possible? Because Jesus took your condemnation on himself, and he gave you his righteousness by faith, which means... There's no use in fooling ourselves anymore. There's no use in trying to fool anybody else. There's no reason to put on a show. If you have his love and his righteousness, you'll be able to handle failure even in the sight of others. Your fear of exposure will be replaced by a firm identity. Your sense of worth will no longer rise and fall based on what others think of you. When you finally know Christ's love and acceptance, that will be enough. And that new reality, once embraced for yourself, has the power, just as it did for Peter, to restore you and make you new. And then, you'll start to find something very interesting beginning to happen. You'll find that the Lord will start putting you in situations where he's asking you to strengthen others, where he's asking you to help others see and receive Christ's mercy and grace for themselves. Because that is how Jesus makes disciples. He takes 
people who have blown it on the regular. People who have completely messed everything up. People like Peter, people like me, people like you. He makes us new. And then he sends us out into other people's lives to make disciples as his name is glorified across the world. May God be so pleased as to make disciples out of all who have heard and received his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, when we look at Peter and his denials, our self-righteousness says, how could Peter have done such a thing? But when we're honest with ourselves, we look at Peter and we say, I've denied you more. In my heart, in my speech, in my actions. But Lord, we also see this sweet and thoughtful and loving gaze that you have on sinners like us. You see and you know us for all of our faults, for all of our failures, and you deeply love us still. Lord, cause us not to be afraid of your gaze this morning, not to be afraid of being seen and known by you. Lord, would you make us new, and would you send us out to strengthen others as we share your mercy and grace as it's worked in our lives so that we can see it work in the lives of others. We praise you, Lord, for your love, your grace, and your kindness that saves sinners like us. Thank you, Lord. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.